Escape to Ocean City, Maryland, and discover a place that just feels lighter, where every day feels like Saturday and French fries are a food group, where flip-flops are always in fashion and seafood is always in season, where the boardwalk is bustling and the beach is right outside your door, where you can rise with the tide and feel like a kid again. Ocean City, Maryland, somewhere to smile about. Book your trip at Oceocean.com. And we're back with an all-new episode of Keep It. I'm Ira Madison III. And I'm Louis Fertel. And also, Olivia Newton-John. I just want to say the words. I don't want to say anything else about them other than I am devastated. The buttery smooth vocals, the roller disco, the legend. You know, you know when you say, I am Louis Vertel and Olivia Newton-John, it makes everyone think that you finally broke. And like, <laughs> <laughs> you adopted the personality of one of your icons. I have no problem with the Three Faces of Eve, like, break into turning into Olivia Newton-John. So that's who I am now. Um, I want to tell her thank you for, if she had to pass away, doing it on a Monday so we can talk about it right afterwards. But, woof, it is just killing me. Part of me is wondering if, like, this is a little, um, you know, murder she wrote, fan theory situation. All these faves of yours dying suspiciously before we record. What's going on with that? Wait, who was the last one? I don't know. We're always talking about some icon. If you have a fan theory, it has to make sense and pertain to reality somewhat. So I don't know what you're talking about there. You know, I scroll Reddit, okay? I don't don't (laughs) read it. (laughs) Um, I I feel like you are as big an ONJ fan as I am. Uh, She has... Actually, um, you know, I mean, obviously... um, Grease was my mother's favorite film. Uh, we're going to get into Olivia Newton-John. Okay. Um, I, I, adore, I adore her, my queen. Um, and honestly, I feel like I would marry someone who would also fake their death to get away from me, too. I have to say, this is obviously a third tier of importance when it comes to Olivia <laughs> Newton-John, but the husband drama... Really second to none, ultimately. Really, really shocking. Having to release a statement saying, don't look for him. He, he He's not lost. <laughs> um, yeah, we're going to talk about Olivia Newton-John this week. Um, and also, you know, um, in our wake of uh, Renaissance and a new song um, from Beyonce involving, you know... Um, your god, your deity, Madonna. Uh-huh. I know there are uh, people who are like, could she come up anymore on this podcast? And I've got news for you, she can. <laughs> uh, so we're going to talk about our favorite dance songs uh, this week. Um, and we're also going to talk about this HBO Max disaster. Which was cataclysmic and all of a sudden, and nobody knew what to do. It was very chicken little. There were lots of reports of everything occurring that like s- certain stars would never be able to work again. It got very crazy that you would never see certain TV shows, certain movies ever again, that you better collect your media physically. Otherwise, it's going to disappear for good. Anyway, every version of a gay film nerd's personal meltdown happened this week. So we got that. And also we have star of the upcoming film, The Invitation, Natalie Emanuel joining us. 
which is a version of a horror movie I just really like. It's in the kind of ready or not mold, which a movie I didn't like, but this one I did like. So there you go. It's in the mold of a movie I didn't like, but I do like this one. Give me a whodunit murder mystery looking movie that is actually, you know, good. Okay. Um, Just like um, bringing down the house. Yeah. (laughs) Agatha Christie's own bringing down the house yes (laughs) alright we will be back with more keep it it's time we talk about America's newest drug of choice TikTok on the latest episode of Offline John Favreau tries to appeal to a younger audience as he's joined by professor entrepreneur and host of the Prof G Pod Scott Galloway to discuss TikTok's rapid growth its influence on other social media platforms and what makes it uniquely addictive. It was basically like you were calling John Favreau a groomer and I was living for it. New episodes <laughs> drop every Sunday and you can listen wherever you get your podcasts. As we mentioned in our intro, Olivia Newton-John passed away on Monday at the age of 73. It was shocking news about um, one of our most beloved musical talents. We've talked about her on Keep It quite a bit. I mean, in five years, uh, it would have been hard for us not to bring up Grease and Xanadu. Right. I mean, two of the most shocking movies in a couple of ways. First of all, Grease (laughs) came out... Right in the middle of like punk being a huge explosion. So as much as Grease is obviously a beloved musical and the biggest musical of the 70s, there was also tons of like cool people blowback to that movie that I think holds on. Like, I think if you are a hard rocker in the 70s, Grease is still a landmark of that's everything we hate. Meanwhile, good Lord, is it fucking fun. And Olivia Newton-John gives a terrific here comes a word I don't say often, iconic performance, her turn at the end. And I just saw this beautifully articulated by somebody. A lot of people describe Sandy's transformation in that movie as sort of sad, like she did it for a man. But honestly, the thrill of that moment is she's now herself to herself. Like I can be as kind of uh, rowdy and sexual and rad and, you know, in your face and honestly Madonna-esque as I uh, want to be, you know. Right. I mean, the people who interpret that film as, you know, Sandy is changing herself for Danny. Um, and so, you know, people will like her in the end or sort of ignoring the fact that, you know, you have Rizzo in this film, you know, as sort of like an independent woman who also needs to confront a lot of things about herself. But it's not on the side of like, you know, the um, whole like 50s ideal of like a homemaker woman or like, you know, like abstinence only sex education, which, you know, Sandy was, that was her in the beginning of the movie. The movie, the movie doesn't want you to be like, that's a good person to be. Right, right. Or yeah, the the only type of virtuous woman there is, et cetera. And I want to say about Xanadu also, a movie that I think has a lot of legend for being a an insane movie. But it's also I don't abysmal. Know that, yes, that but nobody has really seen it or people don't watch it as much anymore. And I just want to say about Xanadu, and I know we've specifically um, 
talked about this on the show before. The reason this movie is bad is not because of the musical sequences or anything Olivia Newton-John does. And I swear this is not just me sucking up to her because she passed away. It's because the movie forgets to be about being at Xanadu and it's about literally drawing up the blueprints for what will become Xanadu. It's about <laughs> building this building that will have Xanadu in it. It's so boring. The male lead is unfortunately atrocious. You do get a little bit of um, Gene Kelly throwing down some fun, smiley soft shoe. It's fun seeing him interact with you know, Olivia, who is obviously at that point, a hot young star. G. Kelly, who is also basically like stalking the male lead of the film too. There are a lot of very <laughs> weird things going on in this film. It is, Michael Beck stars as Sonny Malone in this film. Uh, he was previously known for um, being in the film The Warriors, which required no acting whatsoever. <laughs> um, it's still an iconic film, by the way. The Warriors is amazing. But sure. um, no one in that film can act. And Xanadu, where he has to carry a film, it's even worse. And the concept is that, like, he, you know, Olivia Newton-John is his muse uh, who helps him build this, like, roller disco called Xanadu. The reason why I've always bring up Xanadu on the show is because the mo- the Broadway musical is the better version of Xanadu. It's funny. Right. It's campy. Uh, it gets you to Xanadu quicker. Like, it's about roller skating and the fun of the 80s, right? And... The actual Xanadu film is Gene Kelly like stalking this man, and yeah, and, and like a lot of conversations about how Xanadu is going to come to fruition, and then what we only see it at the end of the movie, right? the The, the image you have of Xanadu is like ten minutes of the film, and it's at the tail end. I actually can't think of another movie like that where it's what you think is the movie is actually just the coda of the movie, the the plans coming to fruition. Um, but my God, the songs from that movie, Suspended in Time, Magic, uh, the title song, uh, Utterly Fabulous. And it must be said, I compared Olivia Newton-John to Kylie Minogue in that I, I really feel like she blends really easy effervescence with sexuality and typically great pop hooks. And like Kylie Minogue, she also has an extremely underrated country era, even though at the time when Olivia Newton-John emerged in the 70s, she was a controversial country artist because, for, for example, in the song Please, Mr. Please, she claims to be from Nashville, which, first of all, we can hear the accent. Second of all, we just know you're from Australia. So people considered her, you know, an intruder on this, you know, very... Um, you know, Nashville-centric scene at the time. But she has such an a spectacular, crisp voice. A friend of mine compared the clarity of her voice to someone like James Taylor. It's so, you hear every word. You're like, It's so comforting how clear and articulate her voice is. You really think I was going to let you get away with calling Golden underrated? <laughs> you don't like Golden? I do not like Golden. I, oh, you know, oh my I God. Love I love Kylie. all those songs. Era, Stop Me From Falling, the, Golden, Sincerely Yours. Yeah. It does Ugh. nothing for me. Absolutely. Do you like Disco? I do like disco. I don't. Yeah. You don't like I that like album? Say, I like Say Something and I like uh, Fine Wine, an extra track mm. on that album. But the song <laughs> Disco is giving um, slow moving cruise ship. I would say Magic. Oh, the song Magic. Sorry. Yeah. Oh, I've, I've cried listening to Magic while driving in my car. But to be fair, that did come out during the pandemic. A lot was going on emotionally. Yeah, just crying at nothing. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> but, um, Listen, I would say the problem with disco is that it's an album named Disco. 
from yes. Kylie Minogue, uh-huh. who has historically made a lot of great disco songs. So if you're going to name it disco, like, unfortunately, Kylie has never really reinvented the wheel. She is the wheel. Um, like we, 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 you know, she's the full started with her and the we wheel, keep using her, you know, <laughs> but like Kylie Minogue, as much as she's integral to disco music, you know, we're going to talk about our favorite dance songs. I'm like, can't get you out of my head is like one of the best dance songs ever created. Um, Kylie Minogue's never going to give us like a renaissance, right? Right. You know, right. she's never going to give us a confessions on the dance floor really. So like. Disco implied like, oh, this is named Disco. Like, this is going to be like something about the genre. This is going to be like the best disco you've ever heard from Kylie Minogue. And it was really just sort of like, okay, these could have been a lot of these could have been B sides from previous albums of yours. It's it's expected music from her. You're right, exactly. I think the title does set you up for disappointment there because when has she not put out disco? So if you're going to name it, it better be like top of the genre. Like nothing in that album reminds me of, for example, Giorgio Moroder. You know, which is what you yeah. would think. It, it would get that intense and that you know, um, Teutonic in nature. Uh, favorite Olivia song before we move on. God, honestly, really hard. I, I, w- I will start at the top and say that there is something about the song physical. And I mm. think it is the speed of the song that is just the hardest hitting mid-tempo song maybe ever. I and mean, like Can't Get You Out of My Head. I think they're comparable. There's something hypnotic about um, what, it, what it does. And when she randomly decides to move from the word physical to animal, wow, uh, the libido kicked in. Uh, I... I'm thrilled she made that choice. It is extremely wild to me. But my favorite song of hers, Magic is up there. Make Make a Move on Me is up there. And I'm currently obsessed with the song Totally Hot, if you know that one. Okay. I would say Twist of Fate is still my fave. Which has a great RuPaul's Drag Race moment with uh, it Katya. It does. Yeah. Uh, when Katya does the splits. Yes. And she does it I, for Olivia Newton-John, who who makes a noise like, oh, when she does it. Oh. <laughs> uh, Honestly, one of the greatest joys of RuPaul's Drag Race is probably seeing like icons like Olivia um, get to watch like drag queens perform their hits. Oh, please, Which Natalie is, Cole. I mean, when yeah. you watch Natalie Cole uh, uh, watching that performance of This Will Be, she's throwing around a hanky. She can't believe it's occurring. And yet she's lived a life where I'm sure people she's seen millions of drag uh, impersonators. Um, I know Nat King, for instance. You know? <laughs> um, yes, I would also. That's also, by the way, side note why it always disappoints me when you have like a pop star on RuPaul's Drag Race and then they don't perform one of their songs. That also, I want to hear about the negotiations about that because wouldn't they <laughs> want that? Like, what? what I want to hear my music be relevant to this community. You know, I mean, I get it when it's Halsey. You know, but (laughs) (laughs) what else is going on? Yeah, right, right. Uh, Uh, So Twist of Fate, good answer. Deeper Than the Night's very underrated. I I, mm. I mean, I love her ballads. Come on over. No relation to the Shania song of the same name I love. Yeah, I mean, also, Have You Never Been Mellow? Please, uh, number one hit. is in Xanadu the musical, uh, but not the movie. uh, And it just works. You know, it's like it's like a beautiful song that works on stage, too. And to get back to Greece, will you talk about just the clarity of her voice and her vocals and a song that like will always make me feel something? Um, Hopelessly Devoted to You is a perfect song. 
Also, there's a quality about her where she can never go too syrupy sweet. It's so sincere sounding from her. And I asked a friend of mine, I was like, who else can really do that? Be that kind of saccharine without making you want to, you know, cringe, so to speak. David and Archuleta. <laughs> that was too fast. It was too fast until you got to David Archuleta. But my friend goes, well, what about Karen Carpenter? And I said, first of all, Karen and Olivia were great friends. Lots of pictures of them together. And Olivia's done tons of interviews about her. But Karen always has a note of melancholy about her. And there's and there's something about like the sentiment of those songs where it's, it's about intensity and healing in a way. Whereas Olivia Newton-John is pure sunniness, even in a ballad. And I think she really is... Uh, on her own in that way. I, I I don't know who I would compare her to. You know, like Kelly Clarkson even. Like, there's like, that's about angst too, ultimately. Carly Rae Jepsen. I, I don't think of her as a balladeer, but God, do I love the song, All That. I love that song. Yeah, well, I don't love her new song, and we're never going to talk about it on this show. I have to say, <laughs> I would barely call it a song. There are, like, I would say I like about a ninth of it. <laughs> Uh, the dance songs. Uh, yes. I want to I wanna talk about our favorite dance songs because you also brought up something while talking about Olivia, just about, you know, like her Chris vocals. And there's like an interview uh, with Chris Cox uh, where he talks about creating um, one of our favorite songs, uh, the Thunderpuss remix of It's Not uh, Right. It's Not Right, but, but It's Okay. But It's Okay yes. by Whitney Houston. When you listen to an R&B song, um, one of the best parts, uh, especially if you like love singing along to them, right? Like I was singing along to um, Destiny's Child's uh, Girl and Cater to You like at a bar this weekend with friends. And it's like, it's always fun when the person you're singing it with knows the ad libs too, like knows all the other like parts of the song that aren't immediately uh apparent but like if you're really listening to that song all the time you hear them and what i love right. about dance music and what i love about like a really good remix of you know like vocals from like a mariah from like a whitney you know like a gloria gator song uh i feel love it is donna summer it's that they isolate those beautiful moments in a song and highlight them uh in a way that you don't get in the original version of a song, you know, I feel like right. a like a really good dance anthem is about elongating those secret moments with that a vocalist does, like really highlighting their instrument and like making you feel something else from it. Right. No, it it a good remix turns the vocalist into a Xanadu esque type muse. You know, makes them even great. Turns them into a god. You know, right? Uh, as opposed to you know just a great singer. Uh, and I that's whatever. why I always hate when people you know like try and like discredit you know like a singer as opposed to someone who's like a Johnny Cash you know like twirling their guitar on stage or whatever. You know, because I'm like, oh, your voice is like the instrument that we were born with. A voice is the only instrument in the eyes of God. That's a that. <laughs> you should uh, walk and, into churches and say that and walk away. But some people use it so fucking well. I mean, talking about dance remixes in, in general, like that's the reason in the nineties, Mariah used to re-record her vocals. Right, right, and it, I mean, of course, Mariah is the queen of realizing the potential in a remix and discovering you can turn out a whole new song basically and 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 call it a remix uh j-lo followed in that trend she just should she would just call anything ain't it funny and it would go to number one the songs would have nothing to do with each other but 
But uh, we uh, we wanted to talk about her favorite dance songs because there's a new Rolling Stone list of the 200 greatest dance songs. And I can't, I can't explain it. I don't know what it is genetically about me. If there's a list of something out, I have to, one, talk about it. Two, be mad at it as if it is even possible for a list to match up with your personal preference. That would simply be unbelievable if that occurred. But um, it is I a pretty my top good five songs. list. Did you pick them? It is a pretty good list, but it does skew very straight. Daft Punk coming in at number two, I screamed. And it was not a normal scream. It was a Richard Simmons saw a spider scream. Well, I screamed at the fact that that was the Daft Punk song that came in at number two. Yeah. One more like, time is what they picked. Yeah. Like, Defunk is actually lower down on that list. I think it's in the top ten, but I think that's, like, the best dance song that Daft Punk has ever created. Mm. Um, I, well, I was concerned at first because when I saw this list, it's 200 songs, and the first one on the list, 200, was a Donna Summer song. I was like, if Donna Summer is coming in at 200 on this list, I mean, God's not a part of the process. I'm getting upset. But then it turned out I Feel Love is the number one song on the list. And I have to tell you, I don't think you can argue around that. I think I think it's like there's something about that song, the intensity of it, the 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 concentration of it and how it like it just moves you to the dance floor. It's like you're part of the hypnosis of being in a room of people dancing. And even though there are other classics, you know, like uh, I Will Survive or Don't Leave Me This Way or I don't know, Dancing Queen things. There's something about that song. That it's it's just the fun of a dance floor distilled. Utterly distilled. And I don't, and I, obviously Beyonce just referenced it on her new album, but we just haven't beaten that moment. We keep improving dance music and yet we still haven't gotten a song that's better than I feel love. No, I'd, I'd, I'd honestly agree because of like it, the, the reason why it really hits on the Beyonce album too, is that like it, it just, it, it, crescendos up to this point where like it's been referencing all this dance music um throughout the past and when you get to that you're like yeah if you're referencing dance music that's the thing you have to reference it's like yeah what georgina Moroder did we're still we're still living off of that you know you're still reinventing versions of that uh i really love by the way um then they mentioned it on the list the patrick cowley remix of that one the 12 inch um version of i feel love it's just but every version of that song always um makes me feel great i don't think you can top that i think some people have some people try to make an argument for last dance but i still think it's i feel love yeah i I mean i enjoy it last dance and also the weirdest possible um oscar winner you know uh, it's just a song you hear every time you go out to any um dance club whatsoever it doesn't fit the mold of something that would win an oscar but lo and behold thank god it's friday is in fact a movie and that is the oscar winning song from it by the way side note about that song i love that our friend chris Leiker has always brings up the fact that um last dance is a very hard song to play at a house party because oh, people think yeah. people think you're saying get the fuck out yeah, <laughs> it's rude. You're right. But also, it is rude to play in a club. Just period. Just like, oh, we've had enough. Is basically what you said. In fact, if you play enough is enough afterwards, you're extra hostile. Uh, also, okay, so you're gonna you're not gonna be surprised what my number two song is. Okay, um, Kylie. No, oh, no, uh, sorry, no. Obviously, Madonna. 
Vogue, definitely. Vogue, yes. okay. Which is actually kind of similar to I Feel Love and that when it comes on, like the whole, I'm using a word that's in the song, attitude of a mm-hmm. dance space changes. You just know you're in a more um, heightened, um, glamorous, severe kind of dance moment. And I, I can't think of another song like that. And again, something I love about that song is like a gay man, she's just listing off the people she's fucking obsessed with, you know, <laughs> Greta Garbo and Monroe. She's taking you through her like al- her, her like weird TCM album she keeps at home because uh, Madonna's an old movie fan. Ver- Vogue was actually the first podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know what? I have a Madonna song um, in my top and it's not Vogue. It's into well, I'm going to guess. Oh, oh, that's a, that's perfectly acceptable. I think Into the Groove remains her most played radio single of all time or radio song of all time, even though it wasn't even technically a single on its own. At the, it like, doesn't have a music video, for example. Um, it, but no, utterly timeless. It just gives you dance to me, you know, in, in a way that feels more um, purely dance than Vogue does. I want to bring up a thing about Vogue, too. There's this thread online that was talking about, you know, like Shep Pettibone obviously produced um, Vogue, um, but it also produced um, Miss You Much. And there's a Miss You Much um, remix that he did. Uh, and there was this thread about how, you know, like, um, and, you know, I, I'm always going to give Janet her flowers and talk about how she's an icon. But there was this thread that was basically implying that m- the Miss You Much Shep Pettibone remix had the um, vocal, like, it has, like, the beat and underpinnings of Vogue. And it actually does. Um, oh. And that that sort of influence Vogue, which was released months later. But the thing is, he made both of those songs and he made them at the same time. And what happened is, I think you know that like Vogue was held back by Madonna's label because they didn't want to just like release it like on an album or as a throwaway. They thought it was going to be a big hit. And so what actually happened is like he made those two songs around the same time and then Vogue just got released later. But if Mm. you want to hear like you know, some of the chords and riffs and the beat from Vogue on a Janet song, the Miss You Much, um, the Miss You Much Shep Pettibone remix is an iconic remix. Got it, got it, got it. Um, yeah, I think originally Vogue was supposed to be like a B-side to keep it together or something, which is another yeah. song I really like. But um, uh, so, yeah, Vogue's my number two. And then I went, I went Don't Stop Till You Get Enough by Michael Jackson because to this day, I think about him and... Quincy Jones in that studio. I mean, did they ever exchange glances and they're like, well, here it is, the best dance song of all time. We're done. Like, like, can you believe that they came up with that? Like, it doesn't remind me of anything that came before it either. You know, there's something specific about Off the Wall where it was like, I, uh, among game changers, it, it was like game beginning. Like, wow, dance music can be this um, throbbing, you know? I mean, and that's one of the most electric scenes in um, MJ the Musical, I will say. Oh, you know, which I've not seen, yes. I think they really get to the idea, you know, that um, Michael was trying to escape his um, Jackson 5, like, sort of, like, youth era. And when he was releasing other music, um, he wasn't really sort of getting the respect that he wanted. Uh, and, it, and it wasn't being, you know, as big as he wanted. And, like, that saw working with Quincy was really about, like, 
I want a number one hit. I want to prove that I am current um, and can, you know, like change the game um, again. And it's such a perfect song. No, oh my god, and it goes on and on, like it outlasts you. It, it, it's it's like J Lo J at her residency. She will outdance you. I'm sh- I, I'm sure of it. Um, don't stop till you get enough. But honestly, you stop before Michael. <laughs> you get enough, unfortunately. Yeah, your fault. <laughs> I'll just finish up my top five really quickly for "Staying Alive" by the Bee Gees. I just think the Saturday Night Fever soundtrack is like same conversation. Did they come up with these songs? Like, well, I mean. We can't do any better. I've not heard anything. It's just, it's an intensely magnetic, uh, throbbing collection of songs all, like uh, that has a ton of emotion in it. And uh, again, attitude. Who let these like bearded white men understand the concept of attitude? It just makes no <laughs> sense. How did they hear about this? I've got um, Ghost Town DJ is my boo. Wow. You would put that in your top five. I put that in my top That for me, um, specifically as a song that's been like, you know, like Sierra sampled it later too. Uh, that is a song that for me growing up, you know, like black in the nineties, like that I heard all the time. Mm-hmm. It was everywhere. And you, st- you put that song on for me at a party or something. And it's, I'm immediately like transported back to like the mid nineties. Mm. For my number five, I almost picked a song that was exactly that vibe, which is Jeanne's Hey Mr. DJ, which I bring up all the time on Keep It. But I went with a faggier disco classic, which is Sherilyn's Got to Be Real. I mean, mm. it, sh- it was almost the name of Paris is Burning. That's how gay it is. And also just the vocal itself j- just seems like some gay queen popping off. I mean, it's just like mm. the 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 next swagger of that song you know you 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 dance with every ligament in your body to that i think i've mentioned this before but like what if i truly like gay awakenings and stepping into you know like being comfortable with yourself and being gay in public was working at magnolia bakery in 2009 uh in new york and the like other gays on the staff like love to put on got to be real and funky town just oh, randomly please. randomly throughout the day and if you were there like you had to sing along to it oh hell yeah by the way how long did it take everybody to realize that lips inc lips incorporated the uh artist behind funky town is in fact a pun on lip sync um now yeah, are you here now? This is your break. <laughs> this, this, is, this is me discovering that. I never put any thought into Lips Inc. <laughs> right. It's basically a rebus. Yes. Uh, it's a game of Mad Gab. Remember that? Yeah. Um. Well, okay, so that, those are your five. I think my five were, I had my boo. I had uh-huh. Into the Groove. Yep. Um, that I feel love. I feel love. Um. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, I could go with that Janet song, but I need to go with um, this song, which is every time I, you press play on this song, the first three seconds of this um, are maybe the happiest, like, you, I've ever felt in my life. Hmm. I'm, I'm thinking of what it is. Beautiful People by Marilyn Manson. I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, that song slaps, but anyway. It, it kind of does. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and I hate that I wasn't into it as a kid because it was like, you know, like it was like the white goth kids music. Right. And then yeah, later uh-huh. I discovered, oh, wait, I do love this music. 
Yeah, right. Obviously, it's like half of like in the indie shit I listen to now is inspired by that. But no, it's um, Shannon's let the music play. Oh my god, unforgettable. Also, that that it takes opening, you away. That opening beat of that song tells you everything that you need to know about this song. It tells you you can have a good fucking time. Yeah. Oh, no. Let your inhibitions go. I remember also, uh, I think it's a song that looms large for anybody that makes dance music. I want to say Madonna posted on Instagram something, a picture of uh, her daughter, Lourdes, at the piano, and she referenced Let the Music Play. Like, even Madonna can't get over Let the Music Play. Um, it just, uh, uh, yeah, I love that vocal, too. Um, actually, Shannon has a number of good songs. Give Me Tonight by Shannon, I really like, but Let the Music Play is... Uh, Fabulous. I th- I'm going to say it's early 80s. Heartbeat by Tana Gardner. I love that song too, which is one of the slower, more um, kind of a sultry or bounce. Heartbeat. You know that song. I mean, I almost put uh, I almost put Stacey Q's Two of Hearts on here, okay? Well, oh, that comes on at Akbar all the time. I feel like that's um, and a song that's only gained in um, mm-hmm. we, we thought it was such a throwaway single at the time. You know, oh, this is a fun song, but no, it's eternal. I mean, also, uh, I just want to do one last shout out, too, to the fact that, like, we are gay men and there are songs that obviously have become, like, dance anthems for gays that you would think are goofy and I would like them. But, you know, like, YMCA and, like, it's rating men still go off. Yeah. <laughs> it's so weird that they're, like. Par- they're like parodies of themselves at this point, but sometimes it goes past parody, and you're like, I mean, I really just have to marvel at the fact that YMCA was a fucking hit in America. A hit to the point where we were kids, like, and they would put it on at school, and everyone's singing YMCA, and then, like, once you grow up um, and realize you're a faggot, and then you find out what this song is actually about, you're like, what was going on in America? No, th- I mean the chokehold they had. They they. It feels like they methodically. I mean, I think the idea of a gay agenda began with the village people. You know, <laughs> here we are putting ideas in your kids' heads and literally like giving them moves to do to uh, you know c- cement it. Also, um, no. I mean, another song like that is I-, I will never forget. I was driving home from my cousin's house in Wisconsin to Chicago in 2008. Regular old radio station. The Macarena comes on. You know what? I thought the Macarena was going to be in your list. Yeah, guys, something (laughs) something chemically is wrong with how good that song is. Like, just to say it doesn't leave your head is to I mean, it's like heroin. It like rewires your brain or something. I don't know how they did it. The Bayside Boys are like temptresses from hell. I hope they're dead. I hope they're they're, (laughs) demons in hell. Um, Uh, And I brought up. I've brought up it's rating men, not just because of the campiness of that and its connection to like a YMCA, mostly because I feel like for at least two decades, every straight person's idea of a gay club is just like it's rating men is playing. Right. But yes. that was also film and TV too. It's like you couldn't have a gay like scene without like it's rating men playing. And it's like, oh, I get it. You know, they're gay. Oh, must but, be gay. Yeah. <laughs> but what I just really love about that group, um, the Weather Girls, you know, formerly um, Tons of Fun, uh, yes. Martha Wash from that group. I, I just love her story of like also giving us several other iconic dance songs, but from the era where they were like, we're going to just use your vocals and put a hot like model on the cover so people think she's singing. 
um, like everybody, everybody. And, yeah, everybody um, dance now, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, and CNC Music Factory, no, yeah, gonna make you sweat. Pardon gonna me. make you sweat. Allow yeah. me to give it the actual title there. Yes. Um. So yeah, I mean, shout out to her too. Oh please, you know she's rolling around at some pride right now. I'm sure she's at Cleveland <laughs> belting it out, you know, on top of a Seven Eleven. Uh. All right. Well, we're back. Natalie Emanuel accepts our invitation. <laughs> Do you like that one? <laughs> no. <laughs> Keep it is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis. Yes. When you see footprints in the sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? <laughs> no. Uh, if you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. With those 30 years of coziness, Barefoot Dreams celebrates being the originators of everyone's favorite luxe home blanket. And while many have attempted to duplicate their blankets, robes, and more, Barefoot Dreams' fabrication and quality cannot be replicated, so don't believe the dupes. Girl, this blanket is it. I effing love this blanket. I'm thinking about it right now, and I want to jump in my bed, which is sponsored by something that we'll do another ad for momentarily. Get ready. There's a reason why Barefoot Dreams has been on Oprah's favorite things list six times. Jesus, get a life, Oprah. My God. (laughs) Dressing head to toe in Barefoot Dreams is the key to comfort as their collection of ultra-soft robes, loungewear, and accessories are made with premium materials. Their products make the perfect gifts, too. Uh, I throw this thing on. I wear it like a shawl. I look exactly like Ellen Burstyn. And <laughs> I am the coziest a human being can be. Because by the way, it's still that time in Los Angeles where it's like pretty mild outside and then your apartment is cold. I can't explain mm. it. I don't know things like basic science. For Keep It listeners, you can get 15% off your first purchase at barefootdreams.com with the code KEEPIT15. Don't miss out on Barefoot Dreams soft, soothing fabrics that will bring luxury to your life. You know her from Game of Thrones, the Fast and the Furious franchise, and Four Weddings and a Funeral, the television show. But now you can see her in the upcoming gothic thriller, The Invitation, out later this month. We are delighted to welcome to Keep It, the fantastic Natalie Emanuel. Thank you. What a lovely introduction. <laughs> well, listen, this we I mentioned that people know you from Game of Thrones, but... I am glad to have you here to talk about the most iconic television show that you've been a part of. Uh, you might be shocked that I've seen it, but it's Hollyoaks. Uh, <laughs> it is. I mean, it's iconic. I mean, it certainly was for me anyway. So Years ago when I visited London, uh, I like caught it on television and became obsessed with it and then still managed to watch it like online, like through YouTube when people would post clips on it, like when I was back in America. Uh, And so it's very fun to have you here. And I have a question um, because you're obviously well known from Game of Thrones, but Hollyoaks was also like a show that like those kind of shows like that and EastEnders are like so big. Um, still in the UK. Is that a show that you would say that a lot of people still know you from, or is that a very specific audience? No, absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, I think um, when someone comes up to me and says, oh, are are you 
my character was called Sasha. So I use Sasha from mm. Hollyoaks. You know, it sort of tells me, it kind of gives me an indication actually like what kind of generation this person's from or how old they might be because of how, when I was on the show. So when they would have been of an age where they were watching, I can sort of work it out. And, um, mm-hmm. so, you know, it was obviously like my first TV role and it was my, yeah, I guess it was my introduction into the industry. And, um, yeah, the fans are really uh, passionate because we get streamed into their TVs, into their TVs and living rooms like every day. So, yeah, it was um, a, it was a crazy kind of transition. <laughs> <laughs> for, for that to be like a primary TV role for you and for it to have like a built in obsessive following, how daunting was that? And was it mostly fun and was it ever frightening? I mean, it's it's kind of all of it, to be honest. Um, I think that I'm just naturally quite introverted and I, I'd i come straight out of school as well. And, you know, I was not really kind of like the person who was centre of attention. I tended to sort of be quiet. I had a very small group of friends and often was just like, you know, on my own doing things. And so suddenly to have people have all their energy and focus towards you and suddenly people coming up to you and wanting to engage with you. Like it was like opposite. It was like the complete opposite of what I was used to. And um, it was quite scary at first. I remember the first time being recognized um, in the street and it was, I panicked. I like ran away and like cried. (laughs) It was quite like, because I was so unaware of that that part of it. I was like, oh, I just want to act. I just want to, you know, do this thing that I love. And I didn't think about this, this sort of symptom of actually doing that successfully. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, and, you know, and um, I, yeah, it was a huge transition. And I had to learn how to cope with that. And I feel like at every point in my career where, you know, there's a whole new fan base or a whole new kind of level to the business. I have to readjust and recalibrate and learn to cope with it because it, for me, I actually find it quite, um, it's quite intense, quite overwhelming. And it takes, you know, it's lovely though. You're like, you're, I feel the love. I feel, thank you. But also the sort of little introvert shy person in me is struggles with it. So I'm constantly having to like, find new tools to like cope and you know and make it a positive thing because it can be quite anxiety inducing as well (laughs) Uh, yeah so well well I can even imagine because you know then Game of Thrones is also you're thrust into another series which is insanely popular yeah I guess people are fans (laughs) of that one too yeah just a few just a few people you know (laughs) yeah and what was so amazing about that fan base is that I was announced um to be playing Sunday like months and months and months before I even shot my my um scenes um for that season and um the way that the fans just like embraced me immediately was so like, like I just felt it like immediately. It was, it was amazing. And so that sort of side of it was really encouraging and sweet. And I was like, wow, I wasn't expecting that at all, but it just showed how much the fans really cared about the show. And so therefore they like cared about me just 
by you know being cast in the show and that, that was just really lovely I want to talk about uh, your new movie, the, the Invitation. Specifically, my first question is: This is a horror movie, and it's one of those movies where characters we initially think are friendly take a turn, and you have to cope with that. But watching some of the dastardly turns in this movie, namely from Thomas Doherty, who we've had on this show, is it hilarious at all to film those scenes in person? Because he's like a very funny, dry what I would call a straight bitch. Like he's like a, 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 a hilarious man. British men can just do that, you know, but like to film like the evil parts with these uh, other actors, is that ever like, do you have to keep from laughing ever? Well, I think when um, Thomas's character really takes that shift, um, which was beautifully done by the way, um, I my character was in such a world of shock and confusion and fear and terror that, you know, I didn't really have time to be like laughing or finding his brilliant, like I literally just have to be like, Evie is gonna die. Like we need <laughs> to get out of here. Like we need to survive. And like, I had to just be in that headspace. But Thomas was so kind of, grounded in the in his performance that the things that were funny I don't even know if they were necessarily intentional or I mean they were he had intention in everything he did but I mean like the way that he played the sort of part of the line often just like the authenticity of it made it like funny because you know it was it's like the thing you don't say in the situation you know but he made it very very real and um and I think like he he just had such a great um handle on the like language and how to like play with it and it was his sort of like performance and choices and freedom that he had that made it quite let light even when he's like doing things or saying things that are really dark you know and just even that choice in itself makes it kind of funny because if you're like talking about doing dark and serious things but you're doing it like very light and sort of you know nonchalantly like that's funny immediately you know and um and I think that was just him making really good choices and but for me it was like I had to just be like terrified I mean I just see a woman like get her throat slit I mean what do you what do you do like it's you know it's complete shock and devastation so and terror so that's kind of all I had to focus on but we definitely had a lot of fun on set just generally um lots of laughs lots of banter and it was a really good group we had a nice time uh i'm interested too in you just talking a bit about um you know being like sort of an introverted like sort of person uh but you also are you also like are known for these sort of roles in these um projects that are sort of like not just dark but like there's a lot of like terror going on there's a lot of like over the top you know like a game of thrones obviously you know you were hanging yeah. out with daenerys the whole time yeah. uh and then you know you have something like this uh the invitation and then you know like even like your character in hollyoaks like went through um everything like she was the penelope pit stop of that tv show like she went through everything uh <laughs> so <laughs> so how is it you know um stepping into the mindset of just being someone who's constantly seeing all of this crazy stuff um i mean it's it's crazy because you know i am 
you know, have like lucky to say that I haven't sort of experienced any sort of extreme violence or brutality like that, like or seen it with my own eyes. But, you know, it's like you, it really is about using your imagination. Like, what would you do? I mean, I've seen videos maybe of really, I've watched a couple of things that were really awful and violent to just sort of like understand that like stomach churning, just absolute, just devastation of like loss of life, you know? And like, I'm, and I, to try and sort of like find that feeling and keep using it um, because I think I, I've never ever witnessed anything that violent in front of me. So I had to sort of find ways to, you know, just use my imagination mostly, but there was a couple of things that like I saw that was online and I was like, I only watched like maybe one video because I, I, I find that really awful. And um, I just, I, I, I'm very, uh, made a choice in the last couple of years to not kind of watch the things that just people share everywhere and just like yeah let's look at this violent thing um but it was really important for me to sort of like you know just feel that absolute sort of like shock and terror and like know where where to find that and also just use my imagination um and like kind of try and use experiences that I have had in in my life where you're just like frightened or afraid or you know and try and draw from it but you know as someone who like I, you know I said can be quite introverted like there's something quite cathartic about expressing and leaving it all out there and just like emotionally and mentally just completely be spent at the end of the day and um you know and just kind of letting it all out because I tend to be a bit like you know in like in a in a type of person so it's just like a, it's quite cathartic in a way to play those scenes because they're exhausting and I you sort of leave the day with like a headache but <laughs> from just like crying and screaming all day but um but yeah now I have to ask about a project you are uh I was going to say circling but are in- involved in because it I there's no more mysterious project in the universe than this and it's Francis Ford Coppola's Megalopolis which yeah. the way he describes it this is me talking about Francis Ford Coppola not rumors about the movie he's basically like well yeah it'll be the biggest movie that's ever existed I mean it's just like casually throwing down the grandeur of the story and like how huge it is the idea of it uh, Adam Driver's involved John Voight's involved obviously it's probably still preliminary but like what can you tell us about this movie and like just the the talks you've had going into it I, I I just I can't think of another project that seems similar in scale yeah I think I mean I think Francis has described it perfectly like it's he it, it's just such huge ideas and questions I think he's asking in this film he it's all he does the equivalent of like operas I think in his yes. movies and this is no different um and you know, I'm sort of cautious to say too much about what it's about or what it's, um, you know, uh, or even allude to it because I don't know what he's said about it in the in the press, and and I want to like give everybody the opportunity to learn about it in or for the world to learn about it on his terms, you know. Um, but yeah, it really is. It's like a, a massive kind of 
a passion project seemingly and he's been it's been in the making for a really long time I think I heard like 15 years um and so it's a very yeah big like has I guess a, in a way like a sort of futuristic element to it as well but again very big world scapes long like you know like very big world sort of heightened uh reality type situation and um I'm I'm really I'm just like still quite dumbfounded or like quite like I'm just still speechless and sur it's surreal to me that that's even a thing and that I'm even ha have you like met the other actors yet like has no, it even moved yet. to that stage yet oh wow okay no, yeah. yeah I mean I, I think it, it, it all sort of kicks off quite soon actually we start like rehearsals quite soon I think and yeah that's so exciting, though. And I mean, like, you're working in, a, in that film, you know, with, like, Adam Driver and Lawrence Fishburne. And I actually want to ask, you know, like, you've been in so many different kinds of projects. You know, like, what what would you say, like, um, is something fun you've learned from, like, a scene partner, another actor you've worked with? You know, because you've worked with so many different kinds. You know, like, the fast, like you've worked with action stars, and then you worked, you know, on serious dramas, you know. So um, what's something that, you know, like, it, it's a fun takeaway for you? You know, I haven't um, ever really considered myself to be that funny. And, um, and I think working with, like, Kevin Hart and um, John Travolta on Die Hard, I actually learned so much and it was funny because people in my life like my family and friends after spending four weeks or five weeks whatever it was working around these really experienced actors and like Kevin being so funny and John Travolta just being genius um as as always and um really understanding like timing and they were like you're funnier like just in your timing and your banter with us like they were like your your ability to kind of land a joke or land a punchline is is kind of better and um <laughs> and I felt really I, I, it's definitely a muscle that you have to use and exercise because I wouldn't particularly say that's the case right now um but at the time when I was doing it and I was around these very experienced comedic actors um I found myself being able to kind of jump in and get into the rhythm of it as well and I found that really sort of interesting I wasn't aware of how comedy works really I was just sort of like you're either funny or you're not sort of thing mm -hmm. actually people can learn to be funny <laughs> and not everyone <laughs> as well as others but you know I definitely found that I was I was getting comments from people around me going oh that was funny for you, basically. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you were pretty funny on uh, Four Weddings and a Funeral, too. Like, you have very good comic timing on that show. Uh, well, I think, thank you. Um, thank you so much. I mean, I think, obviously, the writing really just kind of was funny. And, um, and Mindy and her entire writing team are just so, like, brilliant and I uh I definitely was like they helped me <laughs> out a lot um in the writing but I think as you sort of get into a character and you kind of the more that you ground something a lot of the time and it's similar to what I was saying about Thomas like the more you ground something and you kind of uh really believe believe it it like the more like I don't know the more 
has impact and I feel and so even in comedy the more you ground it I think the more like it's relatable and therefore like funny I don't know and mm-hmm. so I think um yeah I think that like I said the writing really helped me um but as the time went on and I sort of kind of warmed up and got in sort of got into that character it became it became much easier because I got to learn her her humor and you know it it sort of got easier again like sort of warming up a muscle once it's warm it's sort of easier to use and um yeah that was great fun love Mindy but as much as you are funny it is also a pleasure to see you go through hell and you get and people get to do that in the invitation so (laughs) I hope they all check it out thank you so much for being with us today it was such a pleasure thank you so much lovely to meet you both On this episode of Plant Killers, we'll explore one nation's most notorious fruit and vegetable killer, bad dirt. What makes bad dirt so bad? The answer, the ingredients. But fear not, true crime enthusiasts. This story has a happy ending. New miracle Grow organic raised bed in garden soil. It's made with quality organic ingredients from upcycled green waste like compost and aged bark. Unlike the other guys who can't say the same. Looks like bad dirt's murdering days are over. Thanks to miracle Grow. Join us next time on Plant Killers. Well, the FBI raided Warner Home Media and uh, took Batgirl. <laughs> they went into the safe and took Batgirl. Uh, actually, that's what Trump had at Mar-a-Lago. He had the uh, the only surviving copy of Batgirl, and the and the FBI was like, "Well, you got to get rid of that." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the public can't know. Yeah. Uh, no, Warner Brothers Discovery announced last week. I hate saying that name. Yeah, it's really gross. It just sounds so conglommy. Um, they announced last week that Batgirl and also Scoob Holiday Haunt were canceled in favor of a tax write-off, meaning neither film will ever be seen. And I am very upset about a Scooby-Doo movie being shuttered. First of all, the movie cost $40 million. I'm not saying animation is not expensive. Girlfriend, <laughs> you're, telling, you're, you're telling me we couldn't have made the Scoob movie for about 12? Okay. You're weaving diamonds into the frames? What's going on? Uh, I mean, listen, uh, Gina Rodriguez is in the Scoop movies, and it probably costs at least $20 million for the security to keep black people away from her on set. Right. Oh, so she had the heebie-jinkies. <laughs> <laughs> Good Lord, I'm sorry. <laughs> Aside from this, too, a lot of HBO Max original movies have been disappearing. Like um, Robert Zemeckis' remake of The Witches, which, okay, fair. <laughs> the, the, the arc of justice, the arc, wait, what is it? The arc of blank, blank goes towards justice. Anyway, <laughs> it was the, fine and did okay. Yeah. And Hathaway's actually who sent a text and said, can you get rid of this? <laughs> There's like a post it. Yeah. <laughs> Don't it's tell like the Octavia. Amy Pascal emails. <laughs> Amy, can you just delete this one? Yeah. Don't tell Octavia. She likes it. <laughs> <laughs>
Ever since uh, Octavia was in that Ben Falcone movie with Melissa McCarthy, I've been a little side eye with Octavia. Listen, we might have to do a whole other episode about Octavia Spencer and her choices because she is an amazing actress who makes bad film project choices. Remember when she was standing on the Oscar stage when Green Book won Best Picture? I want a movie just about what's going through her head. <laughs> she wanted an Oscar. <laughs> she already had one. Yeah. <laughs> she wanted a producing one, too. She was like, I can do it all, baby. I'm like, uh, okay, yeah. well, if you're going to do it all, at least do Ma, too. Okay? <laughs> I'd, <laughs> I'd rather see that than The Witches. But getting back to this this is a thing that uh people have always sort of been talking about um the idea that um some of the shit that we love could just vanish you know and it's um it's why obviously you know we used to collect dvds and vinyls and like you know i was uh there was a there was a tweet asking um recently like what your um what weird thing from your childhood would be the thing mentioned in like a serial killer documentary um mm. like if you were a serial killer like what weird thing that you do and mine would probably be that i used to record everything on tv but also label them like I truly watched everything, but it would be like my closet at home had a VHS tape with like the adventures of old Christine or like watching Ellie season two episodes one through six. Like I watched and recorded everything. And now I feel like maybe that wasn't so crazy because the idea that a show or movie or something that you like just vanishing because of some media merger is very like unsettling. Also, I didn't realize you were a Julia Louis-Dreyfus historian. Those were both Julia Louis-Dreyfus shows. Um, yeah, did you record North off TV uh, just to shame her? Um, no, my household had a lot of those too. My parents would tape a lot of, um, like, there were a lot more, like, specials on TV. Like, for instance, there'd be Peanut specials or Muppet specials and stuff. And so mm -hmm. we had tons of VHSs of that stuff. I have to say, I was just in Chicago over the weekend at my uh, friend... Andy's and he has a huge DVD collection and I was looking at them and like once upon a time I would look at a DVD collection with kind of awe and um you know it, it tells you a lot about a person and you want to mm -hmm. like be like oh that's so weird that you own this is the first movie that's coming to mind gone baby gone why do you own that you know it's like a conversation <laughs> starter now you look at a DVD collection it's like wow you uh, really, we're having a good time in 2007. You know, it's like it feels like you're completely out of step with reality, basically. Like, who's who's opening that package? Who's putting that, um, you know, disc in a drive? I would say that, like, if someone has DVDs now, I'd never assume that anyone has recently bought a DVD. I always assume, right. like, this is a DVD you had in high school, you had it in college, you had it in your apartment after college, and somehow... These are like the five movies that like it's important to you that you can't throw it away, but you somehow like just still have it on your shelf. Like I have the OC season one, like still there. Have I watched those DVDs? No. Yeah. No, recently uh, some company put out uh, DVDs of movies that I just didn't like Julia starring Jane Fonda. I have a DVD of an unmarried woman with Jill Clayberg. But like if I went if I was going to watch those movies, I probably wouldn't watch those versions. I'd probably just unfortunately pay for them on Amazon like um, some loser. But I will say I feel like the the moving away from physical media 
is what keeps people disinterested in the past, particularly mm-hmm. with things like music. Like once upon a time, it was all about what had you accrued? You know, like if I'm looking through your music, again, it, it says something about you. I'm, I'm learning about like what you spent your money on, like what you cared to keep with you. You know, once upon a time, you'd have a CD in your player. And that was sort of the quote unquote book you were reading as you walked around town. Now it's just about adding things to your library. You know, oh, what can I pick up? It's not, it's not about I personally possess this anymore. It's just I want access to this thing. So mm-hmm. it's sort of like it, it's just it isn't property anymore. And I'm not saying that it needs to be in order for us to enjoy that stuff. But I feel like the having the physical copy of it made the art seem more important. Mm -hmm. And I feel like, you know, being a stan, like being beehive, right? You know, like that has helped me only in the sense that I have a vinyl and I have CDs because, you know, you first of all like artists who you know get to number one like have you know like packages where it's like if you buy a shirt if you buy merch like you get a cd or you get like a physical one but you know it's like i make sure to buy vinyls of like artists i like like a beyonce you know like and i make time to like sort of buy older things because i feel like especially just for vinyls because i feel like yeah i do hate that thing of it feeling like nothing's permanent on you know uh, a spotify or something i was talking about this recently um with the album four from beyonce the original standard version of it that came out starts with the song one plus one when love on top mm. became a hit when you go to spotify the stream this song like love on top is like number one now there's a completely different order than the album that originally came out and i feel like you're not listening to what you used to listen to anymore you're just yeah, listening to an amalgamation of songs and i don't know that feels weird to me yeah no i i i, I don't like that either i i'm obsessed with track listing um uh in fact maybe that's why i resist streaming music services altogether and and, lit- and prefer to listen to radio because at least mm. i i there's something about radio where they give occasion to songs like, Oh, I'm catching this song, you know? And uh, it makes you appreciate hearing it. Whereas I just feel like Spotify turns all music. I mean, not just Spotify, all these services turns all music into just vibes. You can casually run into, you know, it just, mm-hmm. I, I don't know. It makes me sound 10,000 years old, but I honestly do find <laughs> it um, a little bit sad. I also just want to say about physical media, physical media used to be such a good gift. Like mm-hmm. if it was Christmas and it's like, Oh dad, you should see whatever Portlandia, you know, mom, you would really like this old musical I'm obsessed with, you know? Oh, look, here's here. Look at this amazing Sid Charisse movie cover. You know, now that all turns into like gift cards and stuff. And so, it's like there's less opportunity to curate um, what we love for each other, even though Spotify is a curating service, allegedly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, although I say I miss a mixtape, even though we're definitely of the generation where we were making uh, mixed CDs, we're burning CDs instead of Please. making actual like mixtapes. Uh, but even now, it's just sort of like you make a playlist and it's. Do you ever really make a playlist anymore? Because I make yeah. them all the time, but. When I'm like playing them at a party, like a friend is like, oh, I love your playlist. I like put this on. It's like I'm still queuing and adding other things to it as it's going along because like the it's not permanent. 
Right. And by the way, if you're throwing an event, I'm sure other people are casually hooking up their phone and just throwing on their songs. You know what mm. I mean? There's no just like there's no artifact of here is the vibe I'm only creating. Mm -hmm. And I like that. I, I mean, I try to be a person like that with playlists because that's also why I like listening to vinyls, right? What Renaissance actually, I think, did was I think Questlove tweeted about how like when he was at the um, Club Renaissance, the party that Beyonce hosted, you know, it's um, the album played three times and each like time like people were still excited to like dance to it like they're still hyped by it but it was like that's the vibe you created with like you're listening to the start to finish and everyone's sort of tweeting and talking about how they're listening to the start to finish and i was um i was talking about the transitions on this album and i was talking about how i love the transition on donna summer's bad girls record you know and i think like sam striker tweeted at me he was like i have that on vinyl i love listening to that like start to finish and i truly went out um and found a copy went out i truly went to ebay and found but like an original <laughs> pressing of the bad girls record it got on vinyl and now i've been listening to it and i'm like that's the kind of thing that i feel like i'm trying to get into more because i'm like that is a record where if you have like sort of a party and you put on donna summer's bad girls album like the vibe is set you know and you can play that from start to finish and it's also just sort of like it doesn't feel it doesn't invite people to switch up the vibe by throwing in another song. Yeah, right. I do feel like vinyl may be a saving grace in this regard because there's something irreplaceable about just having whatever the look of a record player and the collection of vinyl in a way that like is not lasting with a collection of CDs or even DVDs. But by the way, I do want to say regarding physical media, one thing I am not nostalgic for, and I've seen quite a bit of nostalgia for it recently, is Blockbuster. I'm nostalgic for video stores and but not blockbuster finds and like a, a, a kind of local video store like why do they have a copy of punchline still who's renting punchline for example you know <laughs> movies like that but blockbuster to me was so like you couldn't find anything interesting it was always just the the biggest thing out i kind of have nostalgia for when new movies would come out on blockbuster and then there would be a bunch of copies of something like three to tango. Like that's so the, funny. Like the in entire case wall, six. when the <laughs> entire wall would be like the biggest, like the biggest blockbuster. Yeah. Like Top right. Gun 2 now, right? Like if you, when it's, when it's coming, Top Gun 2 is like huge right now. You know, people keep trying to say that it beat Titanic and that's fine if you want to ignore inflation. But um, <laughs> when that movie a few months from now would come out on DVD, you would go to Blockbuster, and as big as that film is, there'd be three fucking walls where the only DVD on it would be Top Gun Maverick. And I do right, miss right. that. I do miss seeing, like, I do miss walking in the Blockbuster and being confronted with movies. Yeah, and the phenomenon of a movie. And, like, yeah, there's, there's something about seeing, like, the new movie coming out and taking up all the space where you feel like you're really in that pop culture moment. Like, oh, this belongs to Scream 2. That's what I think of when I, you know, uh, I was like, I remember dying to get that movie on video. I was also very young at the time, so I couldn't really see it in a theater. So, anyway, that's sort of a part of my uh, video store nostalgia. Also, one time at um, Four Star Video in Lamont, Illinois, I meant to, as a child, rent Honey, I Blew Up the Kids, which cinema. Uh, I believe the director is, it's either David Lean or uh, Frank Capra. I forgot who did that one. But, um, and what they actually gave me was Honeymoon in Vegas. 
And putting that on, well, let me tell you, I learned a lot about life quickly. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Honey, I blew well, that's up what we used to do with Sarah Jessica Parker. Honey, <sighs> Honey, I blew up the kids used to be on TV all the fucking time. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Awful movie. No, by the way, I mean, like, Honey, I Shrunk the Kids, that was actually cute. And, like, they, you know, you could run around on the Legos and stuff. That's fun. Honey, I Blew Up the Kids. So we're just looking at a green screen of a baby walking on a toy town. It's not good. I actually have watched Honey, I Shrunk the Kids twice within the past year on an airplane and cried both times. But we've talked about how being on an airplane and, like, the, you know, the compression of the air and the altitude and drinking will make you cry. Um, maybe I'm just saying a lot. Honey, about I need myself. therapy. Honey, I need therapy. Yeah. <laughs> when listen, when they're in those Cheerios and Rick Moranis <laughs> lifts them up and he sees his kids, waterworks. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but what makes you not like a blockbuster specifically? I just, I just think there's not much of in the way of selection. Like you don't get to see anything like. I don't know, like a really off the beaten path old comedy wouldn't be there, for example. You know, you are like, like even like bad horror. Like that's the kind of stuff I love from a video store. Just like we have this, you know, it has the feeling of a consignment store. You know, mm-hmm. We're, for some reason we have four copies of Hello, Mary Lou, Prom Night 2. Whereas Blockbuster was just, you know, the quote unquote hits. But, but in that way, they weren't ever great movies. They were just popular movies. How do you think we get back to a point where... I guess movies are like important, important to own, you know, because I feel like, yeah, vinyls. And I'm always at some, I'm always in some way going to be like owning music that I love, especially if it's an artist I like, like, I just sort of want that to be a part of my life. But yeah, I never have a draw to be like, I mean, I love the fucking movie Knives Out. Right. And Mm -hmm. If it had been pre-streaming, um, I would go and get a fun DVD box set of Knives Out. It would probably have like a magnifying glass inside it. Well, also, I mean, like I think of this is just a, a name that's coming to mind. But like Marie Kondo, the like the turning anything extra into just stuff that you should get rid of. I just feel that's a very pervasive mindset right now that we're mm-hmm. like, we're sick of what's extra, you know, post, I mean, I hate to bring up the fucking pandemic, but post pandemic is just about like <laughs> what really matters about life. And so like get rid of the things that don't matter. And I feel like all this stuff really falls in line with that. Even I'm kind of obsessed with interior design shows as I've talked about on this show before. And all interior design right now is like clean and white and nothing extra. And I, I, I just feel like, you you basically have to shift people into realizing that stuff doesn't crowd a space; it enlivens a space. And I, I I don't even know how to begin doing that. So if anybody has any ideas, feel free to throw them to me. Um, by the I way, mean, I respect Marie Kondo and what she does, generally speaking, and her two tips because she only has two. Yeah, I feel like spaces right now are all about everything has to be calming. Like everybody's obsessed with being calm. We're all so stressed out, and I need people to get back into like the fun anxiety of the '90s. Uh, you know, the, the the Garofalo angst. If we could tap back into that, I'd be thrilled. Billie Eilish, <laughs> it's on you, girl. Uh, well, listen. If there was some way, if there was some wave of like VHSs or things coming back. I, you know, I'm, I'm hipster adjacent, you know, so I, I feel like I would, I feel like I would support that, but I also just don't know what the purpose of it would be. A vinyl, you know, you could still like play at a party, you know? 
Right. Am I going to invite? No, literally, it it would have to be you display them like on your walls in the way that you would hang art or something. Yeah. Yeah. Because I'm not going to invite you over to watch Jurassic Park on VHS. (laughs) Like I used to in high school. Yeah. Right. Right. Uh, Nostalgically, I feel something for it, but you're right. It's a. I don't know what's going to take for that for that renaissance theme of yeah. the episode. Anyway, when we're back, keep it. And we're back with our favorite segment of the episode. As usual, it is keep it. Lewis, what's your keep it? I am just astounded. I I guess I'm behind on how much this person sucks. Uh, I had sort of thought she was a perfectly fine celebrity who happened to be married to some mogul type. I'm talking about Catherine McPhee. Uh, Catherine McPhee went on her Instagram. This is Catherine McPhee from season five of American Idol. Um, She was on that show, uh, Smash. Uh, She did a duet once with... Zachary Levi of a song I really like called um, Terrified, written by Cara Diaguardi, who I'm always wondering about and wondering where she is. And if she has any time on her hands, I would like her to perform a citizen's arrest on Catherine McPhee, who said that Los Angeles is in such a quote unquote sad state right now uh, and says that crime is basically taken over the city. She wants to vote for Rick Caruso and she's worried that she can never wear her jewelry outside of her house. This is a woman who, in this time, when there are, you know, I would say issues greater than this, is concerned that her Rolex will draw too much attention to her in Beverly Hills. Um, Money changes everything, to quote Cindy Lauper. And uh, normally, if I'm confused by Catherine McPhee, it's because she's performing the song Black Horse and the Cherry Tree on her knees uh, on national television. (laughs) It's crazy to have she blamed, quote unquote, woke voters for this particular crime she had heard about in Beverly Hills. I don't know where she's coming from. I don't know how people get the phrase woke voters into their mouths, spit it out of their lips and hear it enter the atmosphere and think I'm helping right now. But I guess that's what happened with her. Um, It's very crazy that we once earnestly tweeted about this woman, hashtag team Karen. And now she (laughs) is who she is. Uh, I don't know what to do with that information. Catherine McPhee, uh, also somebody who had basically been a favorite of gays on Twitter until it was revealed that she had donated to Republican causes. And we all kind of thought, well, you know, we all come from sometimes ignorant backgrounds. Maybe that was just a thing in the past. She made a mistake. Oh, no, doubling down. And I'm really sorry gays ever thought she was on our side. Uh, Fuck her. Well, listen, (laughs) I remember us talking about this in 2020 this was deep pandemic because it was like since yeah. it was the fall of 2020 uh and um i only remember that there were screenshots of her donating to the republican party and then she vanished from social media right she was totaled she had no response because yeah. she used to constantly you know like make jokes about smash she she was she was i mean the wor- the worst thing she'd ever done uh, and i'm talking um worse than this rick caruso shit is you remember that um hi my gay boys video yes, that she made right. like she was leading in too much and i think we all like sort of like 
knew that she had some gay tweeting for her too but as soon as the republican shit came out it was like that gay was fired and she <laughs> vanished from the internet and i didn't think we'd ever hear from cat mcphee ever again until she decided to give an interview to support rick caruso so what did rick caruso have to do to to get her out of her twitter retirement I don't know. I mean, did did he ply her with Goop products? I know Gwyneth is in on it, so I I have no guess. But that's actually been one of the more disappointing things about this Rick Caruso shit too. The amount of celebrities, and I know, imagine being disappointed by celebrities, but the amount <laughs> of them who are very much like pro Anithia, or you know, sort of like we care about the environment and climate change, and you know, we care about um, other sort of liberal things. Um, to just really just go so far into Rick Caruso either means that it was a lie or they really are just that stupid and have no it idea what so Rick Caruso dumb. stands for. It's just idiotic yeah. because I'm like, where's the PR here? That's just it. I I I, I, I like being um, protected from celebrities by a layer of PR. I think it's helpful. <laughs> and so when we live in this universe where people are just popping off and I can tell they haven't, you know, done the requisite reading or um interacted with real issues ever maybe in their lives um i get scared because somebody is supposed to be a net protecting me from seeing this happening well speaking of celebrities uh in desperate need of pr my keep it um goes to ezra miller oh no i mean who uh, is somehow everywhere all at once oh yeah they are constantly in the news about attacking someone about a burglary about assaulting people and this week ezra miller charged with felony burglary for allegedly stealing alcohol they stole alcohol from someone's home in vermont no one was there. No one was even at home, but several bottles of alcohol were taken from the residence while the homeowners were not present. Did Ezra break into this home? And if not, who is still inviting Ezra Miller into their homes? It's, it's the Carmen San Diego jokes at this point are, you'd think they'd be stale, but they managed to be in a different city, a different state every other week and are apparently being hunted by the police no it's actually the opposite of carbon san diego because they keep getting arrested wherever they go it's the opposite <laughs> carbon's like you can't catch me no well, I, well I charged charged wherever they go are there arrests being yeah. made oh i don't know i mean it's about time i would say and but, how uh, is the flash still coming out I am shocked by that myself. Uh, my it's, question it's it's actually a comedy routine whenever Ezra does something. Warner Brothers has to be like double down with we're so excited about the flash and can't wait for people to see it. God, that is so baffling. I mean, it's Ezra Miller's one of those cases where actually uh, an underrated moment of RuPaul's was when do you remember when Lucian Piani uh the former music maker for RuPaul had mm -hmm. something of an emotional breakdown and said some awful things about Ru and Ru just responded with have compassion. And he said something along the lines of 
all of us are closer to the brink than you think. And when I see this Ezra Miller stuff, I mean, I know they've attacked people before. I know there's violence associated with some of his acts. I mean, I can only look at it with a certain amount of awe and also think, good Lord, something's not being done that needs to be done. And uh, I mean, I thought that about the awful fucking Anne Heche news this week. Like Anne Heche was somebody I thought was like on the up and up. We uh, Anne Heche was on uh, Dancing with the Stars a few years ago. And uh, uh, I, I, she I, is in a coma last I heard after this unbelievable car accident. Uh, I, I have no other feelings about it other than uh, Anne Heche awesome actress. I always say a 70s actress stuck in the 90s and 2000s playing playing scenes with urgency and outstretched fingers in a way that we used to get from people like uh, Jane Fonda in the Clute days. So uh, no, sympathies and questions for those people. I Yeah, it's it's sad because I feel like it was only a couple years ago where Ezra was... Um, you know, like on magazine covers and, you know, like we were talking about how good of an actor they were. And I was very excited for The Flash, you know, and then it just sort of, I don't know, the brink happened. And obviously, you know, um, there's the privilege that comes with, you know, your brink being um, I'm Bonnie and Clyding um, <laughs> across America. <laughs> but um <laughs> Yeah, it's just it's 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 shocking. It's it's sad and it's also bewildering. Cuz I'm like what the fuck it's is going on? It's yeah. like what the fuck is going on? Like catch them. Yeah, <laughs> right. It just it, it can't be that hard. It can't be, particularly with that machine attached to them. All right, that's our show this week. Uh thank you to Natalie Emanuel for joining us. We will see you next week. Keep It is a Crooked Media production. Our senior producer is Kendra James. Our producer is Chris Lord. Our executive producers are Ira Madison III and Louis Fertel. Our editor is Charlotte Landis and Kyle Seglin is our sound engineer. Thank you to our digital team, Matt DeGroot, Nara Malconian, and Delon Villanueva for our production support every week. you are bpm's high sweat dripping body moving tongue panting you're working hard real hard and you're thirsty you need vitamins nutrients for peak performance and energy and your plants do too Aww. i mean just look at the little guy water soluble plant food from miracle grow is full of essential nutrients just a little scoop into your watering can and boom instant feeding and bigger more beautiful plants it's kind of like a sports drink for your plants you may have to suffer from heat but your plants do not 